So I want to talk to you for, I don't know, however long it just in the room, uh, about uh, the mind of Christ. And obviously we won't get through it all of it because it's kind of a, a lifelong study of mine. But I want to encourage you that when you read, especially Paul's epistles, that when he makes a statement, he's not American, and he's actually giving us an apostolic command that helps us. I think that that's helpful to us because uh, sometimes we think like, oh, you know, he's like making a suggestion. No, he's actually making an authoritative command from heaven that you should allow the mind of Christ to be in you. The same way that Jesus thought, thought is the same way that every person in Christ is supposed to think. Now, a cursory kind of reflection on that is this. I don't think that Jesus ever worried about anything. I don't think he worried about what was going to happen tomorrow. I don't think he was ever confused. I don't think, and, and that same way that he thought has been given to us. Because his life was not defined by what he saw in front of him, nor the system of this world. So when he saw things, even though he didn't ever deny a problem, he just saw beyond the problem. And he was denied by what he saw and heard. And I believe a good understanding of the way we are supposed to think begins in Genesis, the first chapter. I spend a lot of time in Genesis uh, for a number of reasons, but because, especially Genesis 1, because it helps us understand God's original intent towards humanity, it also helps to set some parameters of how he'd like to relate to us. So I actually start in uh, the first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1. In the beginning, I'm reading the New King James, but really that's not the greatest translation there. I'm not an expert at translation, but most uh, commentators and translators will tell you that that's not a good translation, that they just used like language to give us some understanding because God has no beginning and God has no end. So it's more like when time began, and there's, there's uh, a number of critical things in here. He created the heavens and the earth. Interesting about heaven and earth being created because I had this thought one day and it was God does not need a place to live. But he creates a place called heaven to show us where he would like to abide. And there's no efficiency apartments there. Because God doesn't think like that. There's streets of gold. I'm telling you, there's people that are going to get to heaven and they're going to, they're going to be like, they're going to have to go to Bible college. God, this ain't right. There's people suffering. You got streets of gold. Where are you going to go then? He's extravagant in every way, but he creates heaven and earth. And then this is really important, I believe, to the way, uh, gives us understanding in some of the way we're supposed to think. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. I think this is important because of this. He creates heaven and earth and then he says that the earth is without order and that's a whole nother interesting topic that a lot of people, you can go hold it a lot of different ways with what they think is happening there. But the principle I want to point out to there is the earth is out of order. I also want to suggest to you that God does not create something out of nothing. He has a desire. It's not, I, I think God is very intentional. December 9th, 1977 was a good day for the earth. You know why it was a good day? It was the day I was born. Like, what, do you wish you were around during the 50s and 60s? No, I'm, I'm alive today because this is the day I'm supposed to be living in. 
you're alive, whatever day it was. So he's very, very intentional with what he desires. I don't believe he went, hey, I'm, I'm just gonna, maybe I'll put the ocean over here and, you know, just some mountains over there and plants. <laughs> He is, he, he, no, no, I forgot we're being web stream, I'm being recorded. But I believe he's very intentional, and in his intentionality, in his desire, he speaks. And I always say, God could have just said, I spoke, but he illustrates a sermon. God spoke, 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 God spoke. The power of his word. God believes everything he says, he wants you to believe everything you say. He puts the, puts the universe into order. And then I read this this morning with the group this morning. He makes man in his image. He gives humanity part of himself. And then uh, just for the sake of time, I'll read it quickly. Then God said, let us make man in our image. What's he literally saying this? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're going, let's make man in our image according to our likeness. Likeness is simply resemblance patterned after. Let them have, that's a key verse, I said it this morning, let them have. Because he's giving man authorization to be his representative in the earth. Let them have. He didn't say let us have. Big biblical principle there because it defines how God can operate in the earth. He can only do it through, through a, a surrendered human being. Here's another thought I had. God does not want to control people. He wants to have dominion over them. Over the birds of the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man and as the image of God, he created a male and female, he created them. So we see here that God, we didn't read the whole thing. I encourage you to read it. He speaks, he speaks, he speaks. He makes man in his image and humanity was made the steward and the master of creation and humanity, we know, is in some way like God. But then you skip on to Genesis 2, 19. 2 verse 7 is really interesting as well because it said God placed man in the garden. He didn't place him in a prayer room breaks the line between secular and spiritual doesn't exist in the mind of God everything that you touch was to be a worshipful act unto God that's why I worship the Lord eating a quesadilla last night at Rodrigo's or wherever we went last night Roberto's I thought we were going to an Italian place they gave me a quesadilla But he doesn't let the trees grow until he puts man in the garden because he wants him to manage the growth of those trees. But catch the pattern. He speaks, he speaks, he speaks. He is speaking what he desired for the earth and he is very intentional. And if we could use a human description to describe God, the mind of God created what he desired and what he desired was not what he saw, it's what he spoke. Because he's a spirit God. Who are you? You're a spirit being. Now it gets even better. Genesis 2. Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that's what it was named. So now, we don't have a full conclusion of what Adam is actually doing here. But you see, he is now taking a a co-laboring role with God. One conclusion I come to, it comes to a few verses later, it says that uh, 2, 24, 25, it says, 
Adam and Eve, if you're from the south, you say naked. If you're from the north, you say naked. <laughs> they were naked and unashamed. Why were they naked and unashamed? Now, there's a thought that because they had the glory, I, I probably uh, subscribe to that. But most importantly is this. When God created them, in their mind, their thoughts, and their actions, they were corrupted in no way. So that when they looked at each other, they didn't go, oh, you're looking good. They had no corrupt thoughts because he gave them his mind. So when Adam speaks, he's either declaring their characteristics or through his mind and through his communion with God, when he's speaking, he's declaring the, the, the characteristics that God intended those animals to have. What is Adam operating in that? He's not operating by what he sees. He's operating from the mind of God that he's been given as a gift to extend the dominion of God in the earth. So to see Adam in the earth was to see God's representative. The brilliance of a mind that can name every animal to me is staggering. I keep losing this. It's some sort of prophetic thing that God's doing. No, it is. This spoke. Anyway, that's my own little thing there. So Adam names the animals through the brilliance of the mind that God gave him. And we know that the history of the world was forever changed when Adam and Eve, don't ever believe your choices don't make an influence on generations to come. Talk to Adam when you get to heaven. I was perfect. I'm on Dr. Phil's couch for all of eternity. The DNA of the earth was forever corrupted and also the DNA of man was corrupted without the redemption of Jesus in the earth. But I always think about this. There, there's another thing I believe too that, that was brilliant at creation. At creation, there were no lights, there was no internet, there were no houses, there was no any cool things that we enjoy in this day and age. They had the potential to be discovered, but they were not there. Think about it. An animal is at the mercy of, if he goes into a cave, it's just going to be dark. He doesn't like, hey, let me invent a light. Like a skunk did not invent a light. It was the human mind that, why am I saying that? Because there's been brilliant things that have been brought to the earth by people who are not necessarily believers, but they made life upon the earth better. Calvin had this description when he talked about grace. He had this description. He referred to it as people who were unregenerate, but they had the mark of God because they were made in the image of God, and it was the ability to make life better for humanity on the planet, even though they didn't recognize God. Now, if people can invent the greatest things on the earth, the car, you know, uh, how did the car get invented? Because I, I understand Ford just got, he got, he didn't like bringing a horse to work every day. This, I, I think that's if I understand it correctly. So we see these different things that have made life better upon the earth. How much more is the body of Christ, with the mind of Christ, supposed to be excelling at things, supposed to be discovering purpose, supposed to be partnering with the Holy Spirit to make things better upon the earth? It goes back to, I don't I, 
I didn't know why I was saying it, but now I know. That's why we must connect with our purpose. George Washington Carver, a famous example of this, he told he was a believer. Most uh, historical books, secular, don't talk about this. They just talk about how this man, through understanding the peanut, basically is credited with saving the economy of the South because he created crayons and all these other things from understanding what the peanut was. And he, said, he, he asked the Lord, the story goes like this, if I understand it correctly, he asked God what, he said, I want to know everything about you. And God said, you can't know everything about me, I'm God. I cannot be fully known. That's a beautiful thing about God, right? The God who doesn't need anything out of himself actually opens himself up to the people he made. Don't ever believe that God needs you. It's just, I mean, really. To believe that God needs you would, would mean that he needs something outside of himself. He's perfectly good by himself. Like I've heard, he was lonely. No, he's not lonely. He's good. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're good by themselves. So he said, God speaks to him. He goes, I can't tell you everything about me, but I can tell you everything about the peanut. And if you read his descriptions of when he said he went into the, his workshop, I know, I know, this, I do think this is important. You know, like people like, hey, you know, go for it. If you miss it, it's okay. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. But that's not his testimony. His testimony goes, he goes, when I went in to my workshop, basically it would all unlock for me and I would understand what I'm supposed to do. Jesus came as the second Adam and he redeemed all that was forfeited in the garden. I read it uh, this morning, but I want to read it again. I'll read more of it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45 through 49. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, this is 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 49, if you want to follow along. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth and made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so also shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. So I think this helps us, at least giving some background, hopefully, this helps us understand that when Jesus came to the earth, he came with this message that often is talked about in our movement. It's this, Matthew 4, verse 17. Repent, change the way you think. Change the way you think, because if you don't change the way you think, you're not going to be able to access this kingdom that I've brought here and now. Because when you see this kingdom, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When you see this kingdom of God, it causes you to see reality completely different. And when you see reality completely different, you see it from my perspective. And when you see it from my perspective, everything's possible. So essential to our discipleship process is the renewed mind. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct them. And this is, this is really important too because we don't have the mind of the Lord on our own. That's right. We, That's right. 
we have the mind of Christ. One of, the, one of the things that we're in the infancy stages of in the body of Christ is understanding how the fivefold ministry works together because largely in the Western church, especially in America, it, it's been based on this pastoral model that is nice but is not God's best. It, you know, when we're saying that, we're not shooting it at anyone. We're just, it's like, I, the, the analogy that I like to use, it's like God saying, hey, I want to take you from east to west coast. I want you to take a long distance trip. And you're like, awesome. We got this 1977 Pinto. It's awesome. It's going to, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, 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 a little, it's a little shady, but I think it'll make it there. Maybe a few oil chains on the way there. And then he's like, <laughs> and God's like, no, no, no. I have a brand new vehicle for you. It's going to be much more comfortable, make you much more effective. You're going to go quicker. And so we have the mind of Christ. And then when we read uh, Paul's command in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks, so is he. For as he thinks, so is he. And then uh, Paul's verse, and it's funny how God puts this all together. She was saying something about it as we transition. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, and he's basically saying here, because God's been so merciful to you, the reasonable response is giving your whole life. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. And then he hits this, because this is very, very paramount to every believer. Because what I've discovered is many believers switch identities, but they never convert systems. And a lot of them want to stay in, the, I'm not even talking about sin stuff. They just like their own ideology more than the kingdom of God. And they get mad when somebody tells them that's not in the Bible. But be transformed. How we transform by the renewing of the mind. And then he says, you actually display the, the will of God when your mind is renewed. And don't that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, here is something, uh, a, a, a principle that I've learned walking this thing out. As you walk with the Lord and to keep it in mind. It's this. The mind must be in a state of continual change. The mind must be in a state of continual change because you cannot live beyond your level of thinking. Why is that? Read, I can't go through it all. I do a whole school on this, but Numbers 14. What is fascinating to me is this, is that he goes, you're going in. Promised land, it's yours, it's time. What's even more, what's fascinating about that story is this. He actually consents for them to go into the promised land to see what it was and actually to see the giants. Already having given them the word that they're going to go in, already knowing that what they're going to see is going to really mess up how they're perceiving life. Because he's trying to teach them. I'm not shooting it at the Israelites. I'm going, Hi, I've been there. He's trying to teach them, I don't want you to be governed by the giant. I want you to be governed by what I just told you. But their mind could never receive that they were going in. And here's the thing. 
God is so gracious. He will never like ever, like I'm done with you, like religion does that. But he will have to consent to your level of thinking and relate to you in an immature way, even though he doesn't want to. He actually, read Numbers 14. He comes into a line with their own confession about what they believe about God. He goes, because they're too big, now turn and go the other way, and we're going to walk for now for 40 years. Even though I wanted you to go in. I was, um, I was getting ready uh, for service one night in a friend of mine's church in Alabama. Is, uh, have a, uh, November 2013. And um, I was just kind of getting ready to get in the shower. And I heard something that has, I kind of constantly meditate on. He said, I cannot violate the perverted thought process of man to fulfill my will in their lives. Yeah, that, that went over good. <laughs> and so I was thinking about that. I said, well, show me how this works. Turn with me to uh, Mark, the second chapter, verse 18 through 22. Everybody still with me? All right. Thanks for coming out. On a... Is there a UFC fight tonight? I don't know. I haven't been keeping up. Mark 2, verse 18 through 22. Do you know what is tomorrow night? The Royal Rumble is tomorrow night. I'm going to get in a little late, and I'm going to watch it on the WWE Network for $9.99 a month if you're... <laughs> People are like, isn't that the fake stuff? How many of you watch movies? It's fake. It's already planned before it starts. Mark 2, verse 18 through 22. The disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? I want to stop there for a minute because I want to look at who's asking Jesus a question. Two groups have merged together to ask Jesus a question. One group is really interesting because these are not people who could not discern the will of God. These are people who are actually on the cutting edge of what God was doing in the earth when the majority of a religious, uh, a, a, of established religious community in the whole nation is going, that's not God. They're going, that's God. Because John was what? John was uh, declaring the message of repentance, repent, change the way you think because the kingdom of heaven is hand. And these guys go, that's God. So what are they? They are actually forerunners to what God was doing in the earth. It's one thing to be after the fact Jack. It's another thing to embrace it when it first comes. I want to be embracing it when it first comes with all its messiness. A lot of people love Toronto in 2000. Started in 94. <laughs> Second group of people we know is the Pharisees. They were the most influential group of people and they were noted for their authoritative interpretations of the law and their own traditions. What's really interesting about the Pharisees, and, and they, they get a bad name in scripture for a good reason, but actually they had some sound motive and it was this. It was this. If we could live out the laws God intends, our lives, our acts can actually hasten the coming of the Messiah. So what they did was they added all these things to the, written, the, the oral law, the written law that God had given them. And they told them like, hey, um, 
you know, to fulfill this, let me give you these five principles. And what happened is their, their influence became so strong, their interpretation actually became as strong as the word itself. Keep in mind of this. This is really, really interesting about these guys. It's this. They actually had some good motive. They wanted the Messiah to come. Good motives, but perverse thinking leads to perverse religious outcome. Now, here's what the law taught. The law actually only required on the Day of Atonement, on the day of atonement one fast, but the, the Pharisees had added uh, these relig- uh, especially the Pharisees, they added many other fasts. Most of them fasted twice a week and they didn't drink any water. So what's interesting here though is, and, and keep this in mind, I don't believe that Jesus is teaching against fasting because in another place in scripture, he's saying when you fast. So another thing is they're fasting and Jesus' disciples are celebrating. This is really interesting because they are engaged in a good spiritual discipline, but it's in the wrong season. Then he said to him, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and they will fast in, the, in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the wine bursts and the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But the new wine must be put into the new wineskin. So what is he, what he, he actually, he, he actually is, is uh, he refers to a wedding feast. Now, I think that we need to implement some of how they celebrated weddings back then. Because weddings were seven days of festivity. And you were not permitted to fast or engage in other acts of mourning. And he literally calls his disciples sons of the bride, bride chamber, which means they were close to Jesus. And then, of course, he talks about uh, the wine and wineskin analogy. Basically, he's saying uh, back then, obviously, they would store wine. If you're assembly of God or, um, you know, like, you don't, it, it was grape juice. If it, you're, you know, Episcopalian, it was actually wine. <laughs> and they would put wine into these wineskins. And as it just sat there, it would stretch. And they, after a while, it just couldn't take any more wine, so you had to have a new wineskin. And basically, what he's saying to these guys is this. He's saying, you are engaged in religious works, and you are engaged in religious acts, but you're totally missing what I desire for you in this season, because your thinking has never changed, and it's incongruent with the season that you're in. The reason I pointed out the disciples of John is this. They're not people who couldn't hear what God was doing in the earth. These are not people who dismissed every move of God. They were on the cutting edge of what God was doing. But when Jesus switches the seasons, they didn't see the shift coming. What happened? They didn't allow their mind to be in a continual state of change. Bring it another step to this. The Pharisees represented the religious system. And, and this, is, this, is, this is extremely important. As we, I keep this to mind anytime God begins to stretch my thinking and again and again and again and again and again. It's like Gumby. 
he stretches again. I can't do that. Yes, he can. Yeah, see, I did it over here. I did it over here. And he constantly stretching you. That's what it's like to walk with God. You're like, I forgave him. No, I need you to go talk to him. No, let him go to hell, God. No, no it's, it's like what you're thinking. Like, no, go say something nice to him. And then the more you agree with that, the more it becomes your default response. That's what I've learned. I, I've learned my thinking is really changing when God is teaching me about something, stretching me about something, and the first time something goes contrary to that thought, immediately I think, what has God said, and how has he taught me about this? And then when my thinking goes, oh, Jesus, oh, you know, like, you're like, it sounds spiritual, but you're really panicking. You're thinking orphan. You're like, you know, he's not going to take care of me. Just he brought me this far to fail. I get like Peter, you know. Then I go, where in my root system has that not really shaped? Let me listen to this again. Let me get into the word of God on that part again. Let me listen to this prophecy again. Because apparently it still hasn't done the real work it needs to do. That's why we have to be good disciples and fill our hearts with the word of God. I like social media, I do. I'm not against it. But some of the things, the last few months, it's just become so toxic. Oh, Lord Jesus, you know, hating Trump this and Obama this, you know. I'm not saying we have to totally disengage from that. We just have to be really guarded with that. Pharisees never progress, never receive Jesus as the promised Messiah for their nation. And so without progression, you become irrelevant. Why do I say that? I'll say it one more time. Without progression, you'll become irrelevant in a specific area. And you'll have fruit but not everything will be possible for you. You can sing all the song you want, but if your thinking never changes, the impossible is not possible for you. Why do I say that? Because if you look, and certainly not an expert, but I've done enough research to, to say this, with, or else I wouldn't say it. Every form of Judaism you see that exists in the world today is completely pagan, it's completely aberrant and has, it's not even close to anything, even if you're just taking out the old, the New Testament, everything you see is not anything close. Why? Because there wasn't a progression of truth, they become aberrant. No growth. Now it's just a pagan religion. Because the answer was always Jesus, the Yeshua, the promised Messiah. No progression of truth, aberrant. Let's take this to our own experience. There's a reason, I talked about my own experience 20 years ago. There were certain songs that I think they were just your staple diet back then. Let your glory fall in this room. Let it go forth from here to the nations. Now, it doesn't mean that in moments of time there can't be that Ramah song that comes. But I probably suggest you probably haven't sang that song in years or ever in this church. 
Why? Because there had been a, a progression of what God is doing now in the area of music and sound. Bethel Music is not singing the same songs they sang six years ago. Because there's a progression. There's a strengthening of where they're going. Incongruent thinking will help, will prevent us from living in a continuous outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our individual lives, in our corporate lives. Now, let me say this because we touched on the wineskin and I'm going to say a few more things and I'm going to land the plane. A new wineskin does not make the old obsolete, but is able to contain the old and the new. Because this is what scripture teaches. Isaiah 28 verse 10. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Now, the book is completely closed. Like people are like, you have anything new to say? I'm still trying to figure out what's actually in the book that I can do correctly. The book is closed. But our understanding of how to apply that book should always be progressing. Come on. It's important to progress also because if we don't progress, our revelation of who God is is not living. And it is based on a principle that God, or a thing that God did two or three years ago in our life. And when it's based upon something he is no longer doing, you're actually, even if you don't realize it, you're serving a God made in your own image. But it doesn't make the old obsolete. He reveals to us truth in degrees. I'll use my own life, for example. Uh, 20 years ago, I knew, without a shadow of doubt, just like I've never questioned if I'm a man or not. No, I, I mean that. I, I know that sometimes that's a struggle for people, but the only way that's a struggle is something's wrong and you can get delivered of that. It was never meant, if you're a man or a woman, saying, I don't know if I'm a man today. I don't know if I'm a woman. No, it's, you just know. Okay. <laughs> just as a side note, did we ever... No, I'm not going to go there. Just a side note. God, open the eyes of Bruce Jenner's heart. That's all I'll say. <laughs> open his eyes. I'll just say, have you ever thought <laughs> on national TV, a man dressed as a woman would be sitting with his children telling them he's still their father? And people going, that's so inspirational. No, the man needs help. <laughs> he's dressed as a woman still telling him he's his father. And I'm uncompassionate for going, this is a little strange. Anyway, I'll leave it there. I told the group this morning, 20 years ago, I knew. God told me, I'm going to bring you around the world. You're going to be on the cutting edge of the move of God in the earth. I'm going to let you see it with your own eyes. I've chosen you since you were born. So what is that? That's the first layer of the foundation for the purpose of God for my life. But it didn't stop there. Over the years, and this is, a, obey the Holy Spirit. 
as I walk with him, ads, 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 ads. He didn't tell me he was going to give me a prophetic gift. He didn't tell me I was going to write books. He didn't tell me any of that. He gives us truth in degrees for what we can handle in that moment. It's like this. I was going to quote Carly. No children here. But I could sit in front of a four-year-old child tonight and go, you're amazing. You're going to be a prophet to the nations. You're going to and I, and I believe in that because words have power and all that stuff. And they could go, they can understand everything I'm saying because they understand the English language. But they have no grid to put it somewhere. So that's what he does with us as individuals in the church. Truth upon truth upon truth upon truth upon truth. You'll know when someone is not quite mature when they run with one truth in God and make it define their whole life. That's why I've come to understand God does not marry himself completely to one movement. And he will, and this is even more, as I've just tried to be a learner. I've always tried to be a learner of other truths. It might not be like, oh, that might not be my tribe, but there's something a truth. He will often wrap up in a truth in a movement that you don't like, especially in a ministry you don't like or a personality you don't like. Because he's trying to, I believe, get us beyond this place and just say, well, he doesn't think like this or he doesn't think like end times like this. He's releasing a truth through someone and he's going, yeah, it's not coming in a package you don't like, but will you receive what you need from that? The book is closed, but our understanding of that book is progressive. Two things, and then we will land the plane. Two ways that our mind is transformed within the context of discipleship. Number one, fellowship and encounter. You will not trust a God you do not know. And here's another apostolic command from Peter. 2 Peter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grow. How do we grow? We grow in the knowledge of who he is. Number two is this. Extremely important is this. How you will honor the word of God in your life will determine your fruitfulness here on the earth. That's why you have to really, guard, and I'm saying this as an outside voice, you have to really guard when you're in a community, when these two come and maybe they're saying something over and over and over and over. He says that every week. <laughs> or he says this or he says that. Why? Because the way you're honoring what's coming out of him and I believe he might not be a prophet, but every time, and this is just me personally, every time I'm in a meeting, a conference with other people, I sit there and I listen and I'm looking to hear where's the word of the Lord for me or whatever's being said. And I honor what's being said because I've, I, this is so deep inside of me that I've come to realize that 
the, the words of life can be given, your transformation, your shift, your change, the breakthrough that you need in a specific situation can come through a little kid. But if you're saying, ah, it's little Johnny, why they let little Johnny prophesy this Sunday? You'll miss what God has for you. And you may not understand it, but that's what faith is. Faith gives you the ability to live beyond the five senses and causes you to understand. This is also a really important part of the mind of Christ because the mind of Christ is not an intellectual pursuit. The intellect is not bad. Like, please think with your mind when you leave here today. Please think about the person you marry. Lord Jesus. There's been way too many meetings and counseling over those things. I love him. He doesn't have a job. He lives in his parents' basement. If you want to be his mother the rest of his life, I have a word from the Lord. Oh, I have a word for you. Let him grow up and then you can marry him. <laughs> Got very quiet, but I'm just telling you the truth. <laughs> By the way, Adam had a job before he got Eve. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. in the Bible. Ladies, I'll just say it. Think of yourself more valuable than to marry something like that. So the intellect's not bad, but it can't dominate your thinking. You Use two different examples. John 6, they're walking with Jesus, and he goes, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you can have no part in me. And he offers no explanation. <laughs> and they're like, what? Even what he's saying, it's seemingly to violate the word of God. Some of them leave, he goes, Peter, you leaving? And what's even more interesting, it wasn't, he, he, was no, he was not pastoral then. I'm convinced if Jesus was an American pastor, as much as people like to think, they try and vote him out. <laughs> I'm serious. Like you could just see the elders coming to him if he's an American. Like, Jesus, can you explain it to them? You know, they've been in the church several, they're good people. They're tithers. Can you explain this to them? Can you have dinner with them this week? I know you didn't mean it like that. No, he meant it exactly like he said it. He gave them a word that they wouldn't have understanding for until years down the line. But they had to receive it by faith because faith is what causes you to understand. And only later on would they actually get it. One more principle that we'll dove in, but how many like the story of David and Goliath? I love the story. I love David. First Samuel 17. I won't read it just for the sake of time. But David shows up on the battlefield. That's really important because he doesn't show up and become a warrior. He shows up and he is a warrior. Yes. It's a lifestyle. And he goes 
because his father told him to go. His father who didn't believe in him. A turning point in your life and your destiny will be when we can honor people who have totally dishonored us, even if it's our own family. You see it over and over again in Scripture. He didn't go to his dad, Dad, didn't you hear the prophecy by Sammy? I'm going to be king. I don't have time to bring cheese and bread to my brothers. What else did he have? He was a servant. He shows up, and this is one of the most fascinating parts of this story. He says... That he shows up, he sees Goliath, because Goliath will keep talking unless somebody with authority takes their authority. He doesn't shut up until he dies. And what's fascinating, give me somebody to fight, give me somebody to fight. David comes to the lines, gives his brothers, he, hear, he, hears, he hears him, uh, Goliath taunting, and the, and the guys trained for battle. Modern day charismatic translation. The guys who went to Love Explosion every year. The, the guys who were in the school with Zach and Rochelle. The guys who went to ICLV for the conferences. The guys who went to every prophetic thing. The guys who got lays hands on them. These are, these are not wimps. And you know what they say to them? They go, hey, do you know if you defeat Goliath, you get no taxes, because that's really good, because Saul taxes more than Bernie. <laughs> Second thing. Second thing is you get the king's wife. The king's daughter, she's a good-looking gal. And they tell him twice. I, put that, I pushed that away one day. I said, oh, my gosh. All these guys who were supposed to be battling knew the same thing David knew. He chose to use his, that word as an opportunity. They chose to cower in fear. Think about it. They're the ones going, hey. And what does he do? He asks twice. And then he keeps saying it because he got a prophetic vision and he began to encourage himself of what God was going to do. And he never entertained that Goliath would ever defeat him. He traded on his identity in God. Why did he trade on his identity? Because what did Sammy the prophet say? You could cash the check Sammy gave him. Why? He told him he's going to be king. He's not king. He's, he's, guess who's dying that day? Why am I saying that? David honored, and here's another thing that I, I'm convinced David knew. He knew the word of God. Deuteronomy told him, no uncircumcised foe will be able to stand, stand in front of you. What's the point? We all got the same book. All got the same Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And our minds are supposed to be this, these canvases for God that carry not what we see just with our eyes, but what God sees we're supposed to be that carrier of. And as we progress in understanding what we declare and what we do, is supposed to shape the world around us. Close with this. Hebrews 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is your down payment of the things you hope for. You have to have this saying in, in the... In the church I grew up. We're hoping and praying. No, you don't need to hope and pray. You need to put your faith, you need to put the things you're hoping for into a place of faith. 
Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. There's a reason I'm reading this. The evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. And here it is. I was teaching this principle a moment ago. Verse three, by faith, we understand. It doesn't stay, we have understanding and then have faith. It says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things, it's your things, it's your things. So the things which are seen are not made of the things which are visible. So that the things which are seen are not made of the things which are visible. Why am I saying that? Because you and I have been given this privilege of being like God in the earth when he created the world and he created into existence. That when we see the world and when God speaks and when the impressions of God come upon us, I, I mean, I'm t- the Lord brought me to the woodshed about six years ago and he said to me, he goes, you don't, under- you don't believe half of what I tell you. And I need you to start agreeing with certain things that I'm telling you because I'd like to do certain things for you. Anything else you'd like to say today? And what I began to discover is that even if I don't understand it, I'm going, this is so beyond my place of living. This makes no sense. I go, yes, this is the word of God. I align with it. This is who God says I am. And as I do that, I agree with that word and it begins to bring my future into today because I'm aligning with it. When does prophecy begin to be fulfilled? The moment you said yes and amen. And the world begins to be framed not by what you see, but by what God has told you. It's changed the way I see. It's changed the way I pray for relatives. I got someone real close to me believing for their salvation. God, how do you see them? What did you see in their destiny before the foundation of the world? How do you see them? Because that's the way we pray. You receive this word? Why don't you just lift your hands? Whoa. There's a fire of God just falling in this room. More, Lord. Lord.